Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody, Patrick Connor here and welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. We had a whole day yesterday of good boxing, fun boxing, pretty much jam-packed. I am here to recap that stuff with my friends Eris Pina, copy box operator, and also Bryn Jonathan Butler, author, filmmaker. Man, how are you guys doing? Bryn, how are you doing, man? I'm good. That was one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. I mean, I've probably seen a couple hundred fights in my life live. That's top. Yeah, I'm the odd man out here with this Taylor Serrano thing. You guys both got to go live, and I'm like, yeah, it was good on TV. Um, yeah, dude, as Bryn just said, that was one of the best atmospheres I've ever been to. It was electric, um, both sides represented, and the fight delivered more than ex- it exceeded my expectations, that's for sure. Like, I knew it was going to be a good fight, but I didn't know it was gonna be that fucking good, especially at the end, too, and the way they finished off toe to toe and the ebbs and flows of it all man you couldn't have asked for anything better the the build-up was it was really weird because you you had the sense even the way that katie taylor came to the ring was weird like it was a little surreal how poised she was she moved it was one of the slowest ring walks i've ever seen (laughs) and just the look on her face she looked like like mel gibson playing william wallace like it was like what is this could be terrible if this ends up being an embarrassing fight this ring walk is going to be a meme but instead i was like the music was totally different ordinarily for a ring walk also um it was a little slow right super slow and you couldn't hear the announcer announcing like diamati it was just deafening the crowd and even though i've read some reports about like that it was about equal like the irish fans with the puerto rican fans it wasn't close i'd say it was like 80 80 to 90 percent irish fans and i mean i think the puerto rican anthem was booed which was kind of you know you hate to hear that but uh i don't even think the fight led up for one second because taylor was willing to engage into serrano's style and you just knew how dangerous it was. And if these were three-minute rounds, this would be a completely different fight also. So there was something about watching Katie Taylor go out to this, just knowing that this was going to be a historical fight. You just were, you know, you're like, oh, God, is it? could it possibly build up to this? Because the fans felt it too, that tension. And then it was, as, as Era said, it was much better than everything that it was to be on paper. And it was going to look magnificent, but it was extraordinary. I mean, it just, everything about it, like you just said, like the atmosphere, like where I was sitting, I think what I was most impressed about was that there was a nice contingent of Serrano fans on one side of me and then a lot of Katie Taylor fans behind me and around me surrounding and all that as such. And what I found interesting and surprise, and like in a good way was that even though they were like really being vocal toward each other, they were doing it in a playful manner. They weren't like trying to like, as most fans usually do, trying to like pick fights or do something or get like really rowdy. They were both being rowdy, but both sides were like being fun about it to a degree. Like they're going up, shaking each other's hands, 
you know, clapping alongs going on. Oh yeah, I'm gonna fuck you up. No, no, blah, 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 blah. But like, it was always like smooth. And after the fight, everybody dapped each other up and left. And I was like, that's how it should be. I wish I could be like that more often. It usually isn't. So that was pleasant to see. But like you said, there was a tension, man. The way everything was feeling, these guys were moving, all this other stuff. It was like heavy and you just felt it. And then it was posted on Twitter today. There was a clip of Serrano when they were, when they were getting the last, um, the last, um, the last minute instructions by the referee when you face to face, you see Serrano look around and she's like taking in the moment. And she goes, this is crazy. Like she's mouthing the, the Taylor. This is crazy. This is crazy. And Taylor almost breaks her stare because she's kind of taking it in too. And she's just like, you know, like they both realize this is a moment. Like this was the biggest moment at women's boxing. Um, the, where they've come from in the past and what was televised over 20 years ago to where it is now is like phenomenal. And, yeah, they they just delivered from the first bell to the last. I mean, it was it was awesome. That's such a good point too, is because the build up to this fight had nothing to do with kind of Jake Paul bullshit. There yeah. was nothing about this that was about contention regarding they're from different countries. He's totally right. The audience, I had a row of Puerto Ricans behind me and a row of Irish fans in front of me, and there was it was just joy to be a part of this this event. The two competitors had nothing but respect for each other. The fight didn't need any sauce because the meat was so high quality. Mm. And then when it was served to us for, for the 10 rounds, it tasted even better than it looked. And like, I love that this is not just historic for women's boxing. This showed up male boxing for the last 20 years. When is male box? I mean, you have Klitschko, Joshua, you have some examples of epic fights, totally fury and wilder like thrill people but this this arguably is a better fight than than those ones in terms of what what we expected to see and what we got what we got and and like era said it wasn't just the beginning or the middle you know what we saw in the fifth round but the last round was just so epic like so yeah. Uh, the idea that we're not talking about anything except the substance of this fight, apart from the atmosphere, apart from the buildup, but the actual substance was even better than all of that. And that these women both got seven figures, that it's first time they headlined Madison Square Garden, and the fight itself was way better than like the historic markers that it represented. Like, holy fuck, like who expected that to happen? Incredible. And it was high level, man. It wasn't just sloppy, like brawling or anything. That was high level boxing going on there from the first bell to the last. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, that that's, that's one of the really cool things about this fight. Um, and <laughs> there's been a couple of jokes and kind of memes thrown around that eventually at some point, a press conference or something like that, somebody was going to go, now let's stop saying that this is women's boxing. Let's just call it boxing. Okay. Because you know, there's going to be obviously somebody trying to, pander to that element but it's it is true it is true and as far as like the atmosphere and stuff like that the lack of uh vitriol and the lack of like serious hatred or fighting and thank goodness i i do have to believe that at least on some level the tenor of the promotion that that at least comes into play a little bit because both women were really respectful toward each other fighters that are respectful towards each other that doesn't always happen you know I mean, it's it's pretty frequent that that doesn't happen so i mean it's it's uh i think that that kind of rubbed off a little bit on the fans hopefully um but you obviously can't stop some of that as far as the fight itself it was high quality it was high level and you could definitely see 
that these are two fighters who are skilled. These are two fighters who know what they're doing in there. And that um, having to qualify it in any sort of way, like now this is women's boxing we're watching is, you know, that type of stuff was not necessary. And thank goodness, because it, the event itself, the fight, everything was able to live up to what it was on paper. And so many times we see events, you know, being built up and blah, 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 and they don't live up to the hype. And that's just reality. Every so often they do. Every so often they do. And this was one of those instances where it did. And it was a very good fight. Um, Bryn, how did you think, like, it it should have been scored? Who did you think won? Like, what was your, I mean, you? I'm sure you weren't, like, you know, keeping close score. But what did you feel at the end of the fight? I, I thought Taylor, I thought Taylor was doing just enough to win the majority of the rounds. But they were all close. Uh, I think midway through the fight, they flashed on the screen the punch count, the compu box. And it was a little surprising. I didn't think Serrano was quite as active as she was, but I guess the, the big disparity was in accuracy of the punches. But Katie Taylor was willing to, to fight Serrano's game way more than you thought was advisable. And only, I think, in the 10th round did you see Serrano hurt by Taylor. Taylor clearly couldn't hurt Serrano. She just has such a granite chin. Um, but she was just landing at will. Serrano and Taylor's getting bloodied up. Fifth round almost goes down. Uh, amazed me that she doubled down after that, not just recoup, but as you see so many fighters, when they get rattled at her level, they don't have the plan B. And she was able to just get back on her horse and take control of the fight. So I thought Serrano fought incredibly. Uh, again, if it was three minute rounds, I think this fight is completely different. I think her style require and her skill level requires three minutes to really have the time to do what she needs to do i still i, I want to talk to you guys and get your sense of why are we still doing this two minute thing it's too quick it's just the it's just too quick to watch a fight of this caliber and i think it's also important to say you were talking about some of the stigma attached with women's boxing i thought the previous women's bout to this not the co-headliner but french and cruz discern and Elon Sideros is an example about why that stigma is there. When you've got three titles on the line and the fighting was at that level, like they were bad. Like yeah, that, is that was not, not, they look like they were fairly winded and there was a lot of like slapping type of crap. That was not, helpful. it was awful. Like it was just all like, it should not be like comparing the two. If this is championship level, Taylor Serrano, and then you see, oh, here's the super middleweight championship to unify the titles, the WBA, WBC, and WBO, Desern did not look like a professional athlete, let alone a professional boxer. She was totally out of shape. And okay, she went, she wins the fight. But I mean, it was just like uh, the same punch over and over again with somebody who doesn't move their head, has no defense. Sideros looked look like an athlete, but it looked like she was on her fourth boxing lesson. This is, I think, what contributes to a lot of the stigma against women's boxing. And then you have this unbelievable counterpoint with the skill level of Taylor Serrano, uh, where the speed at which they were fighting, like, I didn't think that Taylor, I thought she was getting a little older, that she would be able to have the edge on speed with Serrano. I think she did. But then the power of Serrano. So I, I thought, like, very quickly, it was sort of duran leonard like who's gonna fight what style or or kind of Hagler leonard in, in many respects like it was just at that level of god taylor can't do this and yet she got lost in the moment 
And uh, I mean, the fans that were there that were cheering it on. I mean, again, it was, you couldn't hear the ring announcers. You couldn't hear the national anthem. I've never been to an event where you can't hear the national anthem, where you can't hear Dave Diamani, how amplified he is, but you couldn't make out any of the words he was saying because of how loud they were. And it felt like it inspired possibly to the detriment Taylor's performance uh, in terms of her winning, but in terms of making it exciting, I mean, that's what you dream about watching these things is these guys to get lost in the moment and willing to risk everything. And we don't see it a lot. Like we don't see it a lot at the highest level in men's boxing, but we saw it here almost throughout. Well, Eris, before I asked you, I was just going to say, Bren, don't worry. I can tell you what David Diamante said. He said something like, the time is now. We're all here. You know, something like wow, that. So. That's really that's good. embarrassing. That's really good. <laughs> it was embarrassing though, because he wouldn't, He it was like, Okay, we've had enough buildup. We've had three national anthems, incredibly drawn out ring walks. <laughs> Get fucking on with it. How many times point. can you state basic facts? We're in a building. You know, yeah. bro, just get to the, the fucking part. announcements, yeah. buddy. Eris, <laughs> what, what did you think at the end of the fight, dude? Like, what, what did, uh, what kind of feeling did you get as far as who should have won and stuff? I mean, it was just at the end of it that, like, the the end of the fight just kind of like summed up the entire the fight in general like from the beginning of the end like it had ebbs and flows in the beginning it looked like taylor was in control a little bit with um the way she was boxed and then serrano suddenly took control and started battering taylor around it looked like you know um how we predicted earlier that serrano would probably overwhelm her yeah you and i were both like oh it's coming it's coming yeah yeah totally and it looked like that and then at that point when it seemed like serrano might have punched herself out because she was credited with throwing way over 100 punches in only two minutes um you know taylor somehow miraculously recovered because i thought even after taking a whooping like that in the fifth round that even if serrano decelerated a little bit taylor was still gonna just eventually fall apart because who can take that type of punishment and but not to her credit she came back and each round she got a little bit stronger she was still a little wonky in round six but still you know gathering bearings got through it round seven she's still going in there you're saying to yourself my god she's like crawling herself back into this fight. And Serrano now is looking like the one that needs to like crawl back and like, then you look at the scorecards and like the general consensus of everyone on Twitter and such. And everybody has the fight at least like one point, one way or one point, the other, or, you know, maybe a draw. And then, then the last round, yeah, they both just threw down and it was awesome the way they did it. It wasn't like they just kind of held back. They really just got in there and they, and the, and, the last 15, 20 seconds, they went toe-to-toes in the center of the ring and just duped it out. And both just kind of forgave defense and just, you know, through a bunch of combinations, and it was awesome to see. And at the end of it, you see both of them, Serrano's face was battered, Taylor was a bloody mess, but they embraced, and you knew you just watched something special. Um, with that being said, I thought the fight could have been a draw at that point. I wasn't going to be mad if Serrano won by a point. I thought Serrano might have edged it if you, like, really pressed me about it, but, like, I wasn't gonna be mad if Taylor won it by a point as well. But then when you hear that Taylor won it by four points and three points, you're just kind of like, really? Again? But I'm not gonna let those stupid scorecards, you know, muddy up what what still was an incredible fight. You know, I you guys didn't uh, catch the broadcast, and you might not have like uh, noticed. I guess. I mean, I it's not something that I necessarily would have noticed per se had they not pointed it out like right away but on the DAZN broadcast they pointed out that Amanda Serrano was wearing like New Balance sneakers or something oh, really yeah she wasn't wearing boxing shoes 
And so I guess, like I said, I mean, I guess I just might not have picked that up or something because I don't, I mean, I watch the footwork, but I don't necessarily watch the fucking footwear, you know, mm-hmm. but I mean, they said that pretty much right at the start of the fight. And I looked down and I was like, yeah, what the fuck? And in almost right away, you could see that she was kind of like, she was having difficulty catching up to Katie Taylor in the first three or four rounds. And she was following her around too much. I thought um, she was working, she was moving her hands, but she was having trouble uh, with that distance and with Katie Taylor's hand speed and trying to catch her. Did they and say so, it was the sneakers that were doing it? I, I don't think anybody said that per se, but I, <laughs> maybe they planted the seed in my head by saying it when they did. But as soon as they said that, I was like, hmm, did what? what is going on there? I mean, I'm not going to blame the loss on her sneakers. I'm just saying it was kind of strange. And I, she, and I figured that you guys probably hadn't seen it and you definitely didn't hear it because you didn't watch the broadcast. It but seemed like more, more near the end of the rounds, what started happening for her was that after she had hurt Taylor, it seemed that she started looking more like trying to hunt her down and thinking she can just finish her whatever. So she started like following her. And that's like kind of Taylor's plan is when you start following her around, Taylor can just kind of pick, you know, pick you apart with her flurries and stuff like that, doing, you know, counterpunching off the back foot. And that's what started happening after round six, round by more like round seven, eight, and nine, Taylor really started getting in the zone while that while Serrano, when I was telling my friend and um, uh, Joey Gamashu was sitting next to me, the same thing. We all kind of generally agreed that like that was that was happening. That like Taylor, you know, Serrano was starting to like follow around. Taylor was getting herself back into the fight. So it it, it was just like, oh man, they need to do it again. That's what I say. That's pretty Joey cool. You got, to, you got to watch the fight the- next to former, uh, who's he, lightweight Joey Gamache, now a trainer. Junior lightweight, yeah, now a trainer. And he's doing good. He's doing really good, man. He's a, he's a trainer down in um, the financial district and um, training rich people, I guess. And yeah. Very cool. Considering everything that happened to him after the Gotti fight and all the aftermath and all that, man, to see that he like has his wits about him and he's able to train people and do his thing is pretty awesome. You know, something else you said earlier I thought was pretty interesting um, and I wanted to kind of like circle back to when when they were doing like their kind of like face off, you know, like you guys got your instructions in the locker room type of thing right before the fight started. You said Amanda Serrano looked at her and said something like this is crazy. You know, I thought that was a it was really cool to see that they both kind of understood the importance of the moment. And yeah. like we're able to not only understand the importance of the moment, but also like still be able to get into the fight, like not get taken aback by everything that was going on and uh, the it's, how many people were there and the the loudness and everything. It was really cool. No, it totally. It kind of reminds me of um, what they said Ali did before when he entered the ring, and it looks like he's mouthing, you know, he's mouthing off the Joe Frazier when he first gets in the ring and then people said that he was actually saying $2.5 million, $2.5 million. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Like, yeah, telling Frazier that and Frazier's kind of nodding along with him. <laughs> Even more impressive than that was the fact that, you know, I think it was a little over 10% of the planet watched that fight live. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty exactly. wild. <laughs> but, yeah. It like it totally, even like you said, Taylor, who was still trying to keep her concentration, trying to stare her down, while she was saying this, you can totally see too, she got caught up in the moment too, to a degree, because she almost broke, she broke her stare, she almost smirked a little bit, and she was just like, you know, they have something to be proud of, this was it, like, they, 
they brought it to this point and everybody knew the world was on them that night. <laughs> sure, people were going to watch Stevenson and Valdez and that was talked about, but we all know in general consensus on Twitter and everyone, this was the fight everyone was really looking forward to. I thought Taylor looked like Russell Crowe in Gladiator when she was looking around at the yeah, crowd. Yeah, totally. Like it, there was, you could see her just looking at the flags, which were everywhere. They had emerald light bathing the crowd. And you could just see her just being swept up in it. I, I, like, I found it very moving. Like, I was just totally. like, what must this be like for this woman right now? Like, I mean, to, to get to this moment, because I mean, it also makes you think a little bit about like Ronda Rousey's impact on, on mixed martial arts, even sports. Um, a lot of that was about image. Once she found people, once there were enough women coming in with real athletic ability, like who did she beat before she really stepped up to that elite level and got destroyed? It was just this image of this woman just was way bigger than mixed martial arts, bigger than sports. She became like a cultural icon for a little while. And as soon as she got beat, it disappeared. Like whoever beat her didn't become her on any level. She was bigger than any man in the UFC. And we, we, I don't think we've given enough thought to like how fucked up that is because like women's tennis is gigantic, but it's not way bigger transcending the men or, you know, in, or in other areas of sport. But I think where, where Rhonda was, this was, I don't think Katie Taylor is a super compelling movie in the making necessarily, except if you want the substance of her fights. Like, you know what I mean? So it was, it was really interesting in that way that this fight was just so much bigger than a personality or a sex symbol or all these kind of misogynistic ways to fetishize a female athlete. It was, it, it didn't require any of that. It didn't require any kind of acrimony between the two fighters. It wasn't about Ireland beating Puerto Rico, like the energy of- We didn't have to bring Floyd Mayweather into the, into the equation and say Katie Taylor could beat Floyd Mayweather or anything. <laughs> you know, what was super interesting was how Jake Paul responded to people being swept up in the moment that had substance rather than packaging, which is his entire thing is I'm going to piss people off to watch me lose because if I was actually competing against legitimate people, this is kind of Floyd Mayweather too, is we're not rewatching any of these great fights of the most financially successful fighter ever, other than when he was not financially viable as a boxer because nobody paid to watch him win. We paid to watch him lose. And he didn't do that. So we feel unsatisfied by his career because of kind of the way he fought, which is I'm giving him all credit for being able to beat all these guys. But it, it is quite something to see a fight like this, which is this example for people is that we're remembered for what we give, not what we have. And, and this is a fight that gave a ton. I don't know that these two fighters can ever be the same after this fight, but like this is what they dream of is giving it away on a night like this that sold out Madison Square Garden for the first time for for women fighters headlining and it's one of the best fights that I think anybody who watched it has ever seen I mean so yeah who who would have expected it to to live up to those kind of expectations let alone surpass them I mean just amazing it's that's what you dream of that's you know and rarely does things like that really pan out in boxing where things just not only live up to the expectations, but exceed it. And when it does, it just solidifies why this sport is so awesome. I mean, it has all of its issues. We complain and bitch about it all the time and rightfully so because we have our gripes, but when everything comes together perfectly like it did last night for that fight, then there's no complaints. You know what else was cool too, to add on to your point? 
that when you're saying that Katie Taylor was caught up in the moment and all the flags and everything, they they changed the colors of the Empire State Building that night to represent Taylor and Serrano. And that was pretty awesome. And then when they were in, you know, and at one point when you, they were, when I think it was when Taylor was coming down to the ring or during her introduction, they showed a flash of, um, of, the, of, the, of the Empire State Building turning green and orange really quick. And then going back to the, you know, the screen, that's, that's awesome. When I was heading into the city, getting ready to go to the garden, you saw it too. One side was uh, blue and red. The other side was green and orange, you know, all lit up and everything. It's, it's good stuff. And you you also saw from the WWE Stephanie McMahon, yeah, not off to do cross promotional stuff just to support, you know, just how elevated a moment it was. Same with with Ali's Muhammad Ali's daughter Layla, um, Christy Martin. Yeah, Christy Martin was there. Uh, I didn't see the broadcast, but I know Clarissa Shields was talking a lot about it. I mean, that was another thing I was thinking about. This is it's like okay, both of these women made seven figures. And they're going to make even more for a rematch. I mean, I, I can't imagine that there wouldn't be far more interest in the rematch than there was even going into this. But what kind of money has Clarissa Shields made as the face of women's boxing? Like, I don't, she's never made seven figures. Am I wrong about that? No, I definitely not. I don't think she has. I, I, I couldn't not. tell you exactly how much she's made, but I could tell you that she's made uh, a low enough amount that she went to a somewhat secondary MMA promotion. Right. To, I mean, I, with all due respect, I respect the hell out of what she did, but I'm, but it is what it is financially. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's, that's part of the problem. And that's not to say that last night, that's not to say that Taylor Serrano, the success, the excitement, that's not to say that it unlocked some magic door, but I will tell you that it's a major, major step to have two women headlining uh, one of the largest and most historic fight venues in the country in what was once and hopefully once again considered a fight mecca in, you know, in boxing, to have them headlining, to have them show out, to have them produce like that, that's big. That's really good stuff. And hopefully, you know, hopefully it does lead to an even better paying rematch. They're talking about putting it on in Dublin. I can't even imagine how massive that would be. Uh, that's also highly symbolic for a handful of reasons. Like, I mean, I, we don't need to get into it, but <clears throat> number one, boxing has been experiencing a revival in Ireland on both, especially the amateur level, but the pro level as well. But number two, it's been hindered somewhat by many of the issues that we've seen pop up lately, uh, crime-wise in boxing with Daniel Kinahan and MTK those kinds of things were really muddying up many of the pro game issues in Ireland. I, I mean, that wasn't the only thing, but that was one of the major reasons. Those things were major reasons why Katie Taylor was considered, you know, she wasn't going to be going back to Ireland and headlining anytime soon. And it sounds as if that could be a sincere possibility at this point. So anyway, uh, I think that that's, that's pretty important being able to take a step forward like that's pretty important. My question is, I guess, what does that lead to for other women? Um, what does that lead to in, in terms of like, what's the effect of this going to be? And I think that part of the answer is, you know, when we're talking about somebody like Clarissa Shields um, and we're talking about like the, the French on Cruz de Zern fight, for instance, that lack of opposition in some of these 
uh, weight classes, not all of them. Many of the lower weight classes in particular are fairly deep and a lot deeper than many of us realize. But when like the more you get up in weight, it's kind of more difficult to kind of uh, it's more difficult to make it look competitive is I don't know how else to word it. So I think that that's kind of going to be a problem going forward. But again, Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano, hopefully, like you said, Bryn, uh, the influence. There's been a big uptick of young girls interested in boxing in Ireland. And uh, who's to say that that won't happen in New York or Puerto Rico? So that would be a really cool thing to see. And I am curious what's going to happen with, uh, you know, what kind of effect this is going to have on women's boxing. I, I also think that Clarissa Shields, because I take nothing away from her either. I think she's had an incredible career, Olympic champion, but the substance of how she markets her fights and how she actually fights is a problem. When you've got two knockouts in 12 fights and you're talking about just annihilating your opposition before every press conference, and then you maybe get fans interested to think, oh, I want to see her do that, and how rarely she delivers on that is a, is a problem. Like there's such the discrepancy is too big. Whereas the buildup for this fight, and if you lured somebody in who is a casual fan to watch, they're going to go, I need to see the next one. I had no idea it could be this good. That's more of what you need. You need people more willing to fight in a way that generates that kind of excitement because I haven't had a chance to rewatch this fight. I got home at three o'clock in the morning, but I need to see it again. And, and that's kind of rare with a lot of fights that we talk generally about great fights in terms of how much money they generate. This had a sellout. It has all of this historical context. We're still primarily talking about the quality of the fight. That's what's rare. And with Clarissa Shields, we're talking about what an icon she is in terms of her accomplishments, transcending the barriers that have been in place for women's boxing. Nobody's saying I desperately need to go back and watch her fight Christina Hammer or Tori Nielsen when she got that unanimous decision. And that's that's just, it's not like I'm trying to take anything away from her. It's just, that's what this can do to help the sport. Whereas I think Clarissa chiefly is trying to help herself become more marketable. I don't know that she's sort of the, been a rising tide to lift up the sport because she's gotten a pile of coverage, but she's still not selling out. She, she, what would she have sold? if she fought the best opponent in her decision and she came to Madison Square Garden to headline a fight? Well, with all due respect to her, because I like her, nothing against her, I think that she's already demonstrated that she's not a big ticket seller. I mean, on, on outside of a few fairly small markets, like for instance, perhaps like around Flint or something like that, if she came right. home and, then, and they're not generally speaking, promoting a whole lot of fights around that area in Michigan right now. So... so I think that we've already kind of seen. Yeah. And I think, I think the same is true, even with somebody who is the biggest pay-per-view seller ever Floyd Mayweather. If you don't give us somebody who's going to beat him, he wasn't a big ticket seller, particularly like at the end of that monument, like that gigantic contract he had. Um, if he's fighting a fighter that doesn't sell tickets, Floyd certainly didn't sell tickets in that scenario. You give, put in Oscar, you know, put in Pacquiao, put in people that might beat them kind of thing or generate excitement or, or offer the threat of excitement, which generally Mayweather's style was trying to do the opposite. He was trying to remove risk, mitigate danger, let the air out of the balloon. 
in order to get his unanimous decision at the end of the fight. Nothing wrong with unanimous decision, but that's the difference between that and not wanting to rewatch his stuff and why we want to rewatch something like this. Well, uh, Eris, before I ask you kind of the same question as far as like the effect of what it could potentially have last night, you know, what effect that could potentially have, I would just say that I think that um, you, I, I think that it's tough to remember that a lot of people watch boxing for different reasons. Like, I think probably the most common thing is that we want to see action. That's the most common thing that's going to be like the most common thread among boxing fans that like, you know, you give good action, we're going to love that shit. But there are a lot of boxing fans who do like to, and I mean, we'll talk about Shakur Stevenson and Valdez in a minute, if you, uh, but there are boxing fans who do like to see performances like that and undressing and undoing, you know, somebody outdoing their opponent rather than going to war with them and beating the ever loving shit out of them. But, um, you know, Clarissa Shields kind of falls into that latter category and there are people who do enjoy that. It's just that I think that, like I said, there are just not as many people who enjoy that as the war, but Eris, what, what do you think that this is going to mean? Like, what do you, what kind of effect do you think we're going to see from this? Um, I mean, they have to ride this momentum, I think. Like, if they can make the fight between Shields and um, uh, Savannah Marshall, like ASAP, then I think the you know, the momentum that this fight had, you know, garner a lot of interest in that one as well. Because the, Is the there any update on that? Because Savannah Marshall was supposed to, like, get on a plane, but then didn't get on a plane. Yeah, so I, have, I have no I have no idea. Someone, someone said that she didn't, because I guess there was going to be an announcement that they were going to, like, announce the fight yeah. soon. But I, don't, I have no idea what's going on. Ay, ay, ay. Uh, I don't know if she's aligned anything or is she involved anything with the MTK? Or, or, <laughs> I, I have no idea. Was. It's just a general question. Does she, you know. Uh, I'm not positive. I don't want to say she was because I don't know. But but I mean, like, yeah, she didn't. she's not there. And so I don't know what's going on with that situation. But I mean, what I think, though, is that because this fight was so big, I think that, like, they just can't let it just, you know, because boxing is the type of sport that so much goes on. And everything changes in the way that even with a great fight, it can still kind of be forgotten after a few months with everything, you know, coming up, especially now with this type of schedule. There's a lot of big fights coming up, a lot of important fights, a lot of fights everyone's getting very excited about, including next weekend with Canelo, for instance. So women's boxing needs to ride that type of momentum they just had with Serrano and Taylor. Everybody's talking about it. The buzz is still there. People are talking about it from last night. Um, The fights that need to be made in the sport that you can make them, please make them because that's what's going to keep the interest going instead of them mingling around fighting um, fighters lesser that they have no chance against like shields most of our competition because you kind of alluded to earlier the higher you get up it's very shallow yeah she's a dominant champion and she's won multiple fights and divisions and yada 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 but like there's no competition there i mean there's not even i'm not even sure if there's over uh, close to 100 active fighters in their divisions probably not so you have that going against it. But if you have a chance to fight somebody who's in your division, you have a grudge match against them, they're a champion of equal caliber who definitely has a risk of beating you is the only person who have beaten you. You clearly don't like each other. Fight should be just mean immediately. And, and if it would happen soon after what we just saw last night, <laughs> people would still be really excited. And that would be the first time people would be really into a Clarissa Shields fight. Um, it's just one of those things with her. It's that like, her popularity will never be on par of what Katie Taylor's is, or maybe even Saran, um, Amanda Serrano, for example, because 
Clarissa Shields is a polarizing figure. You know, it's the way she acts, it's the way she can be on fans. Like she can come off kind of gruff and, you know, abrasive if she feels like she's being disrespected or, you know, she's not getting the props that she wants or whatever it may be. And a lot of people on Twitter take it at the wrong way and don't really like her and think that she has a bad attitude. And she can tend, you know, because she's outspoken, she has no she has no problem telling you off about that. So it kind of like, you know, creates that divide. And like you said, too, she's not a person that really knocks anyone out. She usually goes the distance in all her fights and just kind of wins a wide decision and then not particularly really exciting after a while. Um, it makes it hard to be really like a popular, uh, really popular like that. But with all that being said, if you have the right dance partner like Savannah Marshall would be, then everything can go well. It's going to be interesting. I really think that they should ride. Hopefully they can ride this momentum um, more fights, more fights that they, uh, instead of just marinating, they can be made. Like I said, Michaela Mayer, um, Alicia Baumgart is another fight that um, is looked to be potentially made, another grudge match in the making. Um, there's a lot of good fights on the horizon. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's, it's, it is one of those kind of strike while the iron is hot situations yeah. that there's a lot of momentum and that they should kind of ride the momentum uh, as much. Especially as more so than you have to in men's boxing and, and, and the men's part of the sport, because like there's so much going on with the men's sport that you don't really, after a big, big fight, if something does happen for a minute, it doesn't, it's not going to necessarily mean much, you know what I mean? But for women's boxing and trying to ride the momentum that they have now, which is higher than ever. Yeah. Strike while the iron's hot. And, and I kind of feel like, like to your point about Clarissa, I don't even feel like she's divisive. I just don't think people care. Yeah. Like you can be divisive and it's provocative and yeah. it incites emotion where I want to see you lose. Exactly. I don't even think she provokes that. I think people are kind of like, good for you for what it's, you've done. It's like a turnoff. It's yeah. a turnoff. And, Whereas and, with Floyd Mayweather, kind of like you were saying, people want to see him lose. Yeah. They're kind of just like, oh, she's, man, man. They turn the other way, you know? Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because I think everything about Mayweather's marketing himself as a villain worked. Like it, it, with every opponent, it just worked. Like it was there was real intelligence and strategy behind it, where it provoked emotion. And I I don't feel like Clarissa Shields provokes emotion. She doesn't as a fighter, and she doesn't as a personality. And He's it's not the villain as if, and she's like the victim, basically. Yeah, and it, and I mean again, victim. V victim works work, but yeah vi victim is a great marketing thing and she has this incredible story but guess what it's been told and it's been given a documentary and it's been given feature profiles and it's not as if it's been hung on the wrong walls it's been hung by the biggest walls that we have for people to look at and just kind of people are like yeah okay good, good for you but i i'm, not, I'm certainly not going to pay for it and i don't even think i want to finish the article and I don't know exactly why that is, but like, it's not like men, we don't have examples of that all over the place as well. There are some people, you know, Andre Ward. Andre Ward is the most, the, the least marketable athlete who made the most money, arguably in all of sports. Nobody paid to watch him fight. Nobody cared. And yet he made millions. And I'm not saying he's not a great fighter. I'm not, I'm just saying it's a similar kind of thing. And by the way, Ward told me that Clarissa regularly gets counsel from him. I don't know that he's the best person to get counseling about how to start. <laughs> <Certainly, home>. Yeah. <laughs> because he, like I was with him for, for like a week in Oakland and he was not being mobbed. Most people didn't know who he was. Most people would ask for an autograph, say, what's your name? <laughs> That's, it was really weird that like it was like the peak of his of his career in many respects going into Kovalev 
and no, just just not not that transcendent a figure. Uh, and yet, yet because he kind of fell into some situations that were really advantageous financially um, that are not available to Clarissa, he made millions. But he certainly didn't make anybody else millions of dollars. Everybody who invested in Andre Ward lost money. Put it that way. Yeah, that's that's kind of yeah perhaps not the greatest person to be getting career advice in terms of self-promotion in that regard. (laughs) Look, I like, I like Clarissa Shields. And I think, I think all of us probably, I don't think any of us have like a problem with her. It's just that, you know, um, she is hyper-focused on criticism of her, which I I can do that too. I'm sure everybody, you know, does that. Somebody says something mean about you or not cool about you. And you're like, fuck, like three years later, (laughs) it happens. But when you're a public figure, when you're an athlete, and when you got work to do, like you can't, you can't really spend as much time as she seems to spend on the haters. You know what I mean? Like it's at some point you're gonna have to turn that around and use it, like for motivation, or use it to sell tickets or something like that. And she she, she hasn't really figured out quite how to do that. And on top of that, I think that often what we're seeing from her on social media is somebody who's like not very filtered not very counseled in terms of what they should and shouldn't be sharing. And then somebody who's like constantly kind of like growing in that regard. And it's awkward. It's awkward to watch. And a lot of people don't want to watch awkward, you know, like they, they, they want to see something else. So um, I do think that there are opportunities for her to kind of advance, but at this point, uh, it's clear that we're going to be talking about Taylor Serrano far more than we're talking about, Clarissa Shields until we can get Eris like you were talking about that Savannah Marshall fight I mean I don't know what the status with that is but hopefully they can make that fight because that's at the very least interesting I'm definitely interested in that fight considering the backstory and the way that Marshall is kind of dismissive of Shields and clearly it's Irkin Shields it's one fight that I am curious about watching because I feel like there is a general threat there as opposed to most of the Shields fights so I'll, I'll tell you what though on the heels of last night, here we are on a podcast talking about a totally different women's fight. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, so that's already, I think that that's a, that's a positive we can take from that. But Bren, I did want to ask you, dude, because I remember, you know, like we've been doing a podcast for a while and I remember talking to you about, I can't even remember what it was. It might've been Clarissa Shields, like a year and a half, two years ago ish. And I remember you saying, um, if I'm not mistaken, you had said that your dad was a prosecutor or some sort of attorney and often dealt with like family crime type of stuff. And so because of that, or at least partially because of that, you were kind of averse to the idea of watching women get struck, which, you know, it, it, or that it seemed to provoke something of, you know, a different reaction in you like internally or whatever. And that kind of made you somewhat averse to it. And so anyway, not to call you out. That's not at all what I'm trying to do, but more so just to kind of like, I guess, get to the heart of why it seems difficult to kind of catch on for women's boxing among a lot of men. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I do, I do remember us having that conversation. My, yeah, my dad was a child protection lawyer and also wrote a text, textbook for social workers. Okay, um, so I was close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Close, close. he looked after a third of Vancouver. He was in charge of a third of Vancouver's at-risk kids. And when I was a kid f- training for boxing as an amateur, I would run across Vancouver every morning at four in the morning, like like Tyson. That's what I wanted. You're going to be a boxer. You need to run at four in the morning. And and one of my first experiences doing that was watching a 
a domestic dispute in front of my dad's house. And there was a, a big bar at the, in the basement of a hotel about three blocks away from where my dad lived in a bad part of town. And it let out at 4.30 in the morning. And so I watched this guy beat the shit out of his wife in front of me. And I was afraid, I was just a kid. And I was afraid we had a secret key to get into my dad's house. I didn't want to get the key so they'd see where it was and could break into his house or something. And then it escalated into violence and we ended up having to call the police. And I, I just never heard the sound of a nose breaking, let alone watching a woman's nose break and the blood everywhere. And I chased the guy away, even though, as I said, I was a very small 14 year old. He was a, like a, an adult 40 year old man. But it was uh, traumatizing for me just to see the state of that woman afterwards. And uh, so I think I just carried that a little bit. And, and I'm particularly susceptible to any woman I've met who's been uh, suffered abuse from men is something that I just I just can't understand how a man could ever ab abuse being large. I, for some reason, suspend that with men uh, when they're choosing to go in there. Um, but this fight for me, like, I think it was a gateway drug into it in, in, in a certain way. And yet the previous fight was the opposite. I didn't like watching it because it, it just seemed like a bar fight, you know, and I, I worked briefly as a bouncer for a little while and saw some of these fights between women and it was horrible to watch. It was even worse to get involved in, like, you know, where they're attacking each other. And, there was just something so basic about the previous fight leading into Taylor Serrano that was unpleasant to watch because you aren't getting swept up into the sport of it. Uh, it I don't know, it just seemed different to me. Whereas Taylor and Serrano was at such a high level. I mean, their skills and their talent and what it brought out of them as people is I think what happens when you watch sports at that level, which is very rarefied. So I think I'm changing, ch changing my view about women's boxing but i mean i i fully own that it's just my own bias about just totally, not wanting yeah, to yeah. watch women suffer violence but i'm not saying that they shouldn't have every right that men do to choose to to participate i just of course i also get to choose whether i want to watch it so i don't know i don't know if it's some misogynistic thing but i i i'm just very sensitive to it no, it's, and like I said, it wasn't my intention to like call you out or anything like that. No, it's a great question. It's a great question. I think it's a fair point of discussion as far as why women's boxing is, you know, it, by and large having difficulty catching on, but hopefully things change, you know, and it seems as if at least slowly, but surely they are. Um, I was going to ask, and I know you guys were both kind of caught up with, you were both at the fight, so you didn't wind up being able to watch uh stevenson valdez or at least not as you would have liked to you know i'm sure um you know maybe you were like watching it on your little phone on the way home on the train or some shit and maybe i'm just absolutely spouting some stupid new york stereotype nonsense right but regardless what take the train at night anymore bro it's too dangerous <laughs> yeah it's it sounds like it i've seen videos but um you know shakur stevenson wound up basically dominating 
Oscar Valdez. Uh, it was not particularly close. Uh, Eris and I, we wound up doing a preview of that fight where I think that we both felt Shakur Stevenson would just be too skilled. And that's more or less what we wound up seeing, except for Oscar Valdez, dude. He came in with a terrible game plan, just kind of stood in front of Shakur Stevenson covering up like winky right status, except without throwing punches. So it, it was not... It was not a good game plan. It wound up not good for him. Did you guys catch much of that fight? I ended up going to a bar, um, which was right uh, about a block or two away from MSG, where a few people ended up as well uh, to watch it. So, yeah, I ended up watching it. I mean, it was really, really packed, and I was like paying attention but not paying attention at the same time. But kind of like you said, anytime I was really watching it, man, um, Valdez looked just really inept. He had his hands up. He was standing there, kind of reaching in a lot with his punching and just easy work for Stevenson. Stevenson just picked him up, picked him apart and kind of did whatever he wanted. And, you know, the grin that Stevenson would have after each round shaking it, and then he would kind of shake his head like, you know, he has nothing for me, kind of solidified the fact that this, again, he was just kind of going through the motions. He didn't even really have to put it on to the full extent that he wanted to. Just being in second gear was easy enough for him. Did you catch it, Bren? Yeah, I went. I always, as a ritual, go to the TikTok Diner if I see a fight at, at Madison Square Garden. TikTok Diner is just a block, a block north on Eighth uh, Avenue. Um, and yeah, I mean, just like Eris said, I mean, he's he's getting better. It was interesting to see his physique changing the way it has. Like he's really matured and filled out yeah, in a way that I just kind of noticed for the first time watching it. I mean, granted, I was watching from an eyeball in the diner, uh, from a diner table. But uh, I can't wait to see where where that kid is going to go if he moves up to lightweight. I mean, Teofimo Lopez. I, I mean, what a fight! I mean, he, he. I know he's getting comparisons to Floyd, but I feel like he's getting more confident in his abilities and willing to take a few more chances. And I just think he needs the competition and the dance partner, ultimately. And in that division, I mean. Cambosis Jr. is available, Devin Haney, Lomachenko. I mean, all of these are must-see. Uh, I'd like to see him put to the test. I, I was a little disappointed in him initially with his career. I thought he was more hype than substance, and I'm kind of changing my mind. Just his skills are so impressive. His speed, his, um, his ability to close the distance. Like, there's just so many elements. It was like fucking Allen Iverson at times, like just the way he could just, you know, come forward in just such a split second at times. But uh, I just, he just needs the competition. He just needs the competition. Yeah, we're talking about practice, you know, not a game, not a game. Practice. We're talking about practice. <laughs> <laughs> Same time, bring up Iverson. Not a game. I always game loved practice. Iverson, man. I, I don't know why. I don't know. I always loved Iverson. was the man, dude. I mean, because he came up in that era when we were, you're a little, you're a, slightly older than me but he was you're still around from that era when you remember when he first came on the scene and Jordan was kind of fading out a little bit and you know with the Reebok question sneakers and the whole and one that style that he was doing I mean he crossed up Jordan on the court one time man yeah Iverson was awesome in junior high around 97 98 everybody was wearing an Iverson jersey everybody and and doing the and wearing their shit like the exact same way he wore it too. Like yeah, I remember yeah, that totally. was when it started gotten like late late nineties was wearing that that style like you know with the sweatsuit and shit. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's good shit. Now, um, you know Shakur Stevenson. He well, first of all, he won the unified hundred thirty pound title last night, the ring title. 
Um, and I think at 130 pounds, it's pretty clear. He is the champion. He's the best fighter at 130 pounds. I personally, I mean, I think that there are a lot of possibilities as far as him moving up to lightweight and there being some great fights. Obviously, there are a number of names I'd love to see him fight, but I'd, I'd also kind of like to see him fight over the next like year and a half to two years, possibly, uh, assuming it can wait that long, uh, move to lightweight, that is. I'd like to see him make a handful of defenses of that title first. I mean, I know that weight skipping and moving up and stuff like that, like that's popular now. And it's also important to look for big fights. I, I wouldn't be turning those big fights down or anything, but I, I do like to see champions defend their title if possible, or if there's, if there are fighters in that division that they should or could be defending against just to kind of clean the division out as it were, it would be nice. But a lot of those fights, 135 are juicy, dude. Like you said, Bren, I I was also kind of uh, skeptical of Shakur Stevenson on the preview that that Eris and I did. What one of the things that I'd said was that I think that it, it was very easy to criticize him and to kind of look down on him based on uh, the crying interview and based on the video of him getting into the brawl into that garage and stuff like that. And also on top of that, last night after the fights it, during the press conference, it sounded like there was another brawl in the MGM uh, right outside of the press conference, which I don't even know what happened. Uh, it sounded like there was some, something going on with the security or something, but it's not the video. It's hard to tell what's going yeah, on. Yeah. I don't know what caused it or what happened, but it's unfortunate because those kinds of things have been like chief complaints of Shakur Stevenson, apart from the fact, you know, apart from that kind of skepticism of him as a fighter and of how much he's uh, actually progressed and I think that a win like last night, where he totally shut Valdez down, apart from maybe a round or two where Valdez landed some good body shots, um, he pretty much totally shut him down. Valdez is obviously limited as a fighter. We know his limitations, but he is also uh, the kind of fighter that you can't really get lazy against. You got to stay on your on your toes. You can't let him get any momentum. And Shakur Stevenson did that, like you said, Eris, without really even getting out of second gear. Like it was like, you know, he was comfortable doing it that way. He did it that way. Didn't have to expend much energy. It looked like he, he really threw multi-punch combinations. He was just kind of doing like, you yeah. know, one and one, one, two, one, two. Yep. Back His jab was low, super low, active. Low, right hand to the body, jab to the body, boom, overhand right, you know, yeah, easy to him apart. His jab was super active uh, and he was just walking Valdez into punches easily, dude, like effortlessly. And so that kind of that kind of performance, I think, is the kind of performance that is not exactly star-making per se, but it's the kind of performance that definitely puts other fighters on notice that he's there and that he's willing to, you know, get in that 135-pound mix or whatever. Um, and so I... Arguably the most talented out of that whole bunch, even with guys of the, of, of, um, the caliber of Amy. Like, I think he might, you know, tank all those guys when it just comes down to pure skill and IQ and box and acumen that he's been showing so far, man. Looks like he might be ahead of the bunch. But like, I'm just waiting for him to be actually tested. He really needs to be tested to show like his his whole skill set um, and what he would have to do to throw those multi-punch combinations and really like put out his whole um, um, his whole repertoire. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you can tell it's there, but it just he doesn't really have to show it because he doesn't need to. These guys already shuts them down and controls them so much that he doesn't really have to bring it out. But once someone goes there and like you know, like, um, I don't know, like a guy like Isaac Cruz, for instance, 
Like he'd get outclassed yeah. by him, but I mean, Cruz is not going to be the type of guy that's going to be. Yeah, he's going to bring it. He he's not going to get discouraged because he can't touch you really quickly. He's going to have his chest on your on your his head on your chest for twelve rounds and trying to fight your ass. And I think that would bring out like kind of like Floyd fighting Jesus Chavez, for instance. You know where he'd really have to bring it out and like unload on him and like throw those hooks and uppercuts and other stuff and like really bring out a, a part of his game that you don't see too often with him. So. That's what I'm trying to look for. That's what I'm looking forward to. It's, you know, easy enough when he can shut a guy down for 12 rounds like he does in most of his fights, but I'm just looking for someone to really push him. Well, I do think that there were a couple moments last night too. Like there were a couple of things that a fighter like an Isaac Cruz could seize on. Like uh, for mm -hmm. instance, a, a, one of the things people on Twitter were talking about was the fact, and, and I did notice it too, Kenny Bayless kept warning Shakur for measuring with his lead yeah. hand, with his right hand, and that he was kind of leaving his glove on his head too long and stuff. And that uh, a couple times Valdez grabbed his arm and pulled it off. And Shakur, in uh, some of those moments, like I think one time he got hit a little low. Sure. And then uh, a couple times when Valdez slapped his hand away, Shakur kept looking to Kenny Bayless like, like, what is he doing? Help me out. And those kinds of things, like don't get me wrong dude because that that's not like that's that doesn't like define his entire personality but, but that would that would concern me because a guy like isaac cruz would be like you know you look to the ref dude i'm gonna fucking throw a massive punch when you're looking to the ref you know totally there are fighters like that and i would be potentially concerned against a fighter like that and i'd like to see a fighter like that in there see what he could do absolutely that's what i'm looking forward to see you know, a style kind of like Castillo or someone of the mold like Maidana, who's just going to get up in your ass and not be discouraged by anything you do and just make it very uncomfortable for you, where you're going to be looking at the referee and kind of looking for that help and be like, hey, man, he's not playing by the rules. I don't know how this is because they're not used to that. He never experienced anything similar like that in the amateurs because the amateur game isn't made for that. And he hasn't experienced anything like that as a pro yet. So that's when he, when, he, when he goes through something like that, and that's what I'm waiting to see, when he has to have one of those really rough and tumble fights where a guy's going to be getting his head up in his chest and in his face, hitting him low maybe a little bit or just doing whatever it has to be to try to win a fight and not worrying about where he actually touches him as long as he still hits him, then it's going to be interesting to see, like you said, because I noticed that too a couple of times. There was a couple of times when Valdez was in a clinch or whatever and he would rough him up a little bit and Stevenson looked at Bayless as if to say like, hey, help me here. Or he did slap his hand one time and he kind of looked again like, you know, he's not supposed to do that. So yeah, I think he said something like, the fuck is he doing? Or something. Yeah, like that. exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. So what are you doing, bro? <laughs> totally. So that's what I want to see. If, and that wasn't even that rough. It wasn't like Valdez was being, you know, was getting a little aggressive, but he wasn't being that really rough with him and that dirty. Get in some guy with him that can be really rough and dirty with him that's going to really push his ass like that, then it's going to be interesting. At 135, I think so more than it would be at 130. Because, I mean, who do you have at 130? Uh, after the top of my head, I think Jojo Diaz says he's moving back down. Um, and I, I, after the top, I'm not even sure. Well, Jamel Herring, who is – they just announced he's going to be fighting um, – oh, shit. I saw it yesterday, so I couldn't even I couldn't even tell you. I can't remember off the top of my head. But Jamel Herring, Hobson Conceição, you know, who just fought. But, I mean, it's not a super deep division because most of those fighters – have been gone through, you know, yeah. for the unification last night. So, yeah, I mean, there, there are a handful of guys there, but it's not a, a division like 135 or 140. Totally not. 
So, Bryn, uh, also yesterday, dude, Nico Ali Walsh scored that knockout. You think he's ready for our boy Bobby Chez yet? Or what? what do you... <laughs> the most coddled fighter, man. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand this guy's career. He seems like a really nice guy. I, I talked to Tom Hauser, who spent some time interviewing him and said, I really like him. I shouldn't say this, but he was just like, but he can't fight. <laughs> so yeah <laughs> you know it's it, he, he's trained by he's trained by uh sloan right richard sloan the archive yeah yeah oh the good thing i will say is that he had a dope blue cronk hat on last night did he okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> no look dude i mean i get it you know what i'm saying like there's always going to be sal sanchez the third you know there's always going to be some oh god please don't bring him up you know like there's always <laughs> going to be something you know and and i will say i will give the kid this it does seem as if he is working he is doing what he can um and i think that in terms of we're talking about stigma there's probably going to be stigmas from trainers and stuff like that who are going to not want to work with a kid like that because they're like, nah, I don't want to be associated with, you know, this novelty thing. And so anyway, I mean, I don't want to just slag the kid too much. It does seem as if he's in the gym. He's doing the work he's supposed mm -hmm. to be doing. But I mean, they're putting him in against literal scrubs and uh, a couple of them have laid their paws on him pretty good. So it's... It, well, wow. it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of like Dimitri Salida, where you've got a great story, but in terms of the fighting, um, pretty sheltered, pretty protected before Amir Khan lands the first punch to end the fight. You know, like, and you sort of feel a similar thing watching Ali. It's like, yeah, it's a great story. Oh, wow. You're related to the greatest of all time and all that, but you, you are not that. But and, I'll tell you what, dude, boxing fans have gotten sick of that shit. Like they were sick of it uh, like a year ago. So I mean, they better be real careful and tread carefully with this. Well, you know, and from what I understand, Bobby Chez is available if, if they're looking for, you know, fighting a bigger guy and, and you know, spice boxing up a little bit, bringing in a legend, uh, a, a sex symbol, probably a self-proclaimed sex symbol of the sport. And he's got that uh, head movement, but it's, you know, it's, it's <laughs> highly intelligent. I mean, arguably the most intelligent, uh, at least according to Menza, that boxing's ever had. So, I mean, there's a you know, he, they could fight for the Menza championship. I do. The WBC will create that belt. The WBC will create the Menza belt. Don't kill me. Don't, don't, don't encourage them, guys. Don't encourage them. Yeah. Well, it doesn't even have to be a belt, it could just be the towel that he wore when he fought Holyfield. <laughs> for all the towels <laughs> it, it, could, it could be the tuxedo but where he's in the tuxedo smoking the cigar you know oh yeah the... no it could be the daniel kinahan endorsed men's a towel Chihuahua. Yes. and they won't even let they won't even let his friends on planes at this point <laughs> this is rough i'll just don't let don't let him behind <laughs> the wheel of a car woes us <laughs> kinahan or chez either one well probably the latter is even more dangerous yeah Shit. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> no do you know what i i uh i wish that i would have been there last night dude because that seemed like such a cool atmosphere you guys um that is definitely it was it was that was the place to be bro it was the first time i've been in msg since the pandemic and 
I, for me, for me at least, like the Madison Square Garden has always just holds like a certain aura to it. Even if it's not a boxing event, you just walk in and you just know the history that that place held, held, um, held holds. Excuse me. <laughs> and um, you know the people that have fought there and the memories that it's had and everything like that. And you look and you see the ceiling and just yeah, that's, the that, I don't know why, but that's so iconic, dude. The, like when you it look is. up and the ceiling and shit. Totally, totally. So it's just a special feeling, and when you go in there, and when you have a big fight, and you just know that feeling, and everybody's kind of convening on New York for that whole week, you can't beat it. I mean, there's, you know, I know Vegas fight weeks are special for people and everything like that, but maybe I'm being biased, but there's just something that holds magic for Madison Square Garden, and when a fight delivers there, there's nothing better. Oh, yeah, fuck Vegas. Vegas doesn't hold a candle to that shit. And I'm from the West Coast, but just Vegas is blech compared to MSG, MSG's, you know, to be up in the stands and know, I know there's been like four of them or whatever, mm-hmm. but like you can feel it when you look around and see a father and son or a mother and daughter getting into it. It's, it's just, yeah, it's very, very special. Boxing, Knicks games, even concerts, man. Like MSG is just something incredible. I think yeah. this version of, of the garden has been the longest too. Cause I'm, well, I'm yes. pretty sure it has to been. Yeah. But that's, yeah super iconic venue dude i i appreciate you guys uh going out and partying last night and being willing to get up somewhat early and do the show today i I appreciate a lot of fun man thank you guys this was great well it was it was to me the most important fight that madison square garden has had since chez holyfield in 1996 so it brought me back to that special day definitely definitely well i could definitely tell you at least bobby didn't have to drive home from that fight you know at least he could take the subway has his eyes ever cleared up from that night or is he still like complaining that he's still blinded well i was a what what conspiracy group do we want to blame he poured beer in my eyes yeah I can't see. Well, okay, MacGyver, use that Menza IQ to solve this problem. <laughs> use the water bottle. Get your towel. <laughs> yeah, this fucking guy, Bobby Chase. He's like, it's speaking iconic, dude. Let's just let's close on this iconic Bobby Chase note, guys. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this today, everybody. Thank you so much for if you watched on YouTube or if you listened in, very much appreciate it. But if you did watch on YouTube, we would all appreciate it if you gave us a little subscription, click subscribe on there. If you did listen in on the podcast apps, also subscribe on there. Either way, leave a comment, ask a question, always helpful. As far as social media goes, Knuckles and Gloves is on both Facebook and Instagram, but individually, like my buddy, Bryn Jonathan Butler, he's on Twitter as Brinicio, B-R-I-N-I-C-I-O. Eris Pina is on Twitter as Punch Zone Eris. Me, Patrick Connor. I'm on there as Patrick M. Connor. Boys, we'll talk soon. Have a good one. Thanks, man. It's fun. Peace, Bobby. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. 
So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.